You have reached a phone call from Paul, a literary hub podcast. To hear more, visit lithub.com. Paul Holden Graver's conversation with Wally Sean. Hello, is this Wally Sean? Yes. I'm so happy to, to reach you. I know that you're traveling and doing so many things and, and, and performing. So the fact that you're taking some time out really pleases me a great deal. And I've, you know, I've read during the night and during the day, uh, and now several times, um, your night thoughts, and though it's a very slim volume in terms of a number of pages, it feels to me that it is very condensed. It's a very dense book, and and it feels to me as though you've you've put a lot of Wally Shawn into it. Uh, practically all there is. I mean, uh, you know, I uh, yes, it's it's. Uh, Pretty much everything that I have figured out in the course of, uh, you know, over 70 years. So, uh, yes, it's my, um, I don't know, I just had the feeling that uh, in case I were going to become senile soon or dead, I'd better write it all down. And it turned out to be about 68 pages. Yes. I mean, very small pages. Yes, and, and, and I wanted to give people who might be listening the idea that this is a slim volume, but it is going to take whoever reads it a fair amount of time to, insofar that that's even possible to digest. These are, you, you call them night thoughts, and we'll get back to that in a moment. But, you know, you made me think about so many things. And you, as you know, I'm, I'm a quotomaniac. So I, I basically can't think without thinking about other people who have thought. And you made me think, you know, you, and I know that in a way, um, Wally, uh, this is something that, you write about too all the people who taught you in some form or another to to think and what they taught you to think but there's one line written about a hundred years ago wally um in 1919 by the the great french poet paul valery in the crisis of the mind he said something that made me think uh, reading you made me think of it many times it's very short he said, we civilizations, we too know that we are mortal. <laughs> yeah. What does, what does this conjure up in you? Well, I mean, he's, uh, I suppose he is, um, perhaps speaking of his whole uh, method of thinking about the world and realizing that uh, everything that he is is, is uh, and everything, all of the people who have made him what he is are all uh, mortal. And he was thinking, I suppose, in terms of, uh, I don't know, 
millennia that uh, he was imagining that Western civilization might crumble. I suppose I'm imagining, you know, that it's crumbling already in, in, in its physical manifestation and the world may not be around for millennia or even for a century with living creatures on it, except maybe those lucky cockroaches that people always say are so hardy. And you know, um, Wally, he wrote this in 1919. So after, yes. after the, the great, um, I mean, not great, but the, the first world war. And I, I imagine, I imagine, though I don't know the context perfectly, I imagine in a sense, not unlike you, he may have had the belief, Paul Valéry, that civilization and the word civilization was something strong and that would never go away. And that his teachers had taught him to prize civilization the way, the same way your teachers taught you and your family and uh, the, your family life and the life surrounded by books and good things made you feel that this would be forever. And yet now, after your 70th year, as you say, you write these night thoughts that puts that maybe into question, if not in jeopardy. Well, I suppose really, I think maybe, I don't know exactly what Valerie was thinking, but he uh, might well have been thinking that the civilization that he so prized and valued was the cause of this horrible war which couldn't be explained and couldn't be justified and to this day I, I sometimes think we all ought to do nothing but study the first world war which uh, you know has it's very hard to put words no one can put words to what it was even about uh, why were people destroying each other? It was almost impossible to explain. And similarly, and, and, you know, I'm thinking, you know, civilization was really quite uh, dreadful for humanity, and we, we were possibly doing better as hunters and gatherers. Uh, you know, so it's more a question of... Uh, does civilization can contain the seeds of uh, violence and uh, totally insane destruction? And and this feeling, um, which is much more, of course, in a feeling that civilizations are volatile and vulnerable is something that you describe quite beautifully in in night thoughts as something that you you recognized or heard said quite early on when you were 20s and discovering um the 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 village and and its pleasures a friend of yours said that to you, said civilization may not be here forever, and that maybe civilization, as she put it, was a mistake. Uh, 
Which yes, I, I don't think she was. She wasn't worried about whether civilization would survive. She was. She was. Uh, she was saying that maybe it should never. You know, it would have been better if it had never developed. Uh, that uh, you know, it unleashed uh, such. Uh, as soon as it came about. It brought with it uh, hierarchy and the subjugation of uh, unlucky people and uh, violence and uh, the sort of uh, uh, brutality that has uh, characterized our history. So. Yes, but I, I describe in the book that when she said that, I was very upset and shocked and that it took me many years to be able to uh, realize that she was, uh, uh, you know, that it's, it, it was possibly quite true. Although now we, uh, we're trying to dig ourselves out of the, situation that we're in and um, you know there are some things that civilization has come up with uh, that we're going to need to use to save ourselves at this point um, it's a little bit moot about whether civilization ever should have come about in other words we we, we need we need the poison um, to clean our system as well. So it isn't, a, it, of course, it isn't an easy equation simply to throw civilization out because it produced so much, so many monsters. But when you said, Wally, just a moment ago, when your, your friend told you that civilizations may, may be a mistake, and you said you reacted at first by feeling upset. Why? Well, uh, because it, uh, it, I think in my earlier days, uh, when I was in my 20s and 30s particularly, I, I was uh, uh, preoccupied with... Uh, the life of the mind, I suppose, and uh, I uh, obviously enjoyed, as I mentioned in the book, you know, the music of Beethoven, right, and uh, the tale of Genji, and I thought that the word civilization stood for everything good. At a certain point. The words of my friend began to sink in because I became more aware of the physical anguish and suffering of most human beings on the planet. And the fact that uh, most people on the planet were being exploited and were suffering uh, as a consequence, you could say, of the development of civilization made me understand that maybe it had been a mistake. Although now, today, I think, uh, you know, really, 
human beings need to master the music of Beethoven and incorporate the tale of Genji into themselves in order to uh, be able to save the world from extinction, really. I think uh, we need to be smarter and better at civilization's clever technique of, of uh, preserving things like books is going to be very useful to us. The, the, the night thoughts in in many way is a, is the tale of um, not the tale of two cities but the tale of the lucky ones and the unlucky ones and you are by virtue of where you were born in what in what family you were born, a highly cultured family, you were born as a lucky one. Yes, well, I can only, I mean, my experience of my of life, my experience of life has been the experience of uh, a lucky person. So I can't really write from any other perspective or pretend to know uh, too much about the world. I've been shielded from uh, from bad luck and, and suffering. And uh, so I can only write as a privileged person, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, my, the only... You know, everyone has to write from where they are. And uh, there are some people, I don't know, I suppose Charles Dickens saw life because he had such a varied life and he'd been poor and he'd been prosperous and he'd seen so much. Uh, he could uh, write from a more universal perspective. I can't, you know. But what's also interesting, Wally, is that you you talk about that privileged point of view that makes you able to appreciate the tale of Genji and uh, Beethoven. But at the same time, you talk about how different your life has been from the life you inhabited as a as a child and as an adolescent. You you speak about this phenomenon of downward mobility. And how, in a way, you, you, you chose a life, and you call it the life of the mind, that did not offer you the kind of well-being, though you like that well-being, that you could have had had you chosen a different path. Well, yes. I mean, I think uh, from a pretty early age, uh, I knew that uh, I probably wouldn't, uh, I mean, my, my, uh, my parents sort of, uh, stumbled into, uh, a life in which they had a certain amount of, uh, material security and, and, uh, didn't, uh, and, although I think 
think from the inside, uh, they were more worried about that than I uh, knew. But uh, yes, I, I then, uh, you know, my parents simply would never have dreamed of uh, supporting me. And in fact, they didn't have any, you know, savings or cash when they died or, you know, they were, they were doing nicely, but not, uh, they weren't really what you'd call wealthy. And so, yes, I sort of in my 20s had rather poor prospects and um, was, uh, you know, sort of expecting to lead a life of a, of a bohemian of some description. Uh, if I was expecting anything, but uh, then fate and good luck caught up with me sort of for a second time, and and I uh, uh, fell into a way of uh, making a living that I, in which I did rather well for a while, and uh, uh, you know experienced um, material comfort. And now, now that I mean, that life you're talking about, where you did fairly well and continue to do to do well, I believe is is a life of of directing and acting. And uh, well, I, I uh, you know, I became. Uh, uh, I didn't plan to be an actor in my life. I was, uh, you know, I just wrote strange plays which I still do, um, but uh, somebody said, why don't you, you know, they, somebody offered me a part in a play, and I, I uh, had previously only lived off uh, debt, really. I mean, I'd had various jobs, and I'd been a school teacher, uh, but mainly it, I, I had... Uh, developed some skill as a borrower, but uh, I had no plan for how I would pay back the money that I had borrowed, so uh, I was sort of heading for financial disaster of some description, but uh, on a minor scale, but then I, I did, uh, you know, fall into acting and got many jobs and uh, did well for quite a while. Uh, you know, then I have declined to some extent, but, but, uh, yes, I, I, I've had some, you know, uh, very good luck in that regard. Uh, particularly, you know, noticeable as good luck because so many people have struggled to be actors and, uh, I became an actor really by accident without any struggle and uh, have, you know, at least at first did quite nicely. You know, you you talk about the strange plays you wrote and the strange plays you continue to write. And today, Tom Stoppard turns 80. And oh. uh, yes, and, and it, it struck me, there's a line of his I've always liked where he says, 
I write dialogue, I write plays because dialogue is the most respectable way of contradicting myself. Yes, and, and I, yeah. and you know, and, and Sartre somewhere said that he, he wrote theater to give, to give words to his enemies. Wow, that's, uh, that's, it's, uh, I wish I were like you and had these wonderful quotes in my head. Oh, you know, Marvelous. you know, I, uh, I, I, I do, but, but let's forget what I have. I'm, I'm curious how this speaks to you, um, in your, in your writing life, because I think that in, in more than one way, people are mistaken to, to, um, put you in, in the role of just a recognizable actor. Because in so many ways, I think your writing and Night Thoughts in particular now strikes a chord which goes incredibly deep. And so I'm curious about that writing life of yours, which I think you 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 put a lot of work and effort into. Well, I mean, in my own mind, you know, uh, I've always been a writer, and the fact that I act is—I uh, mean, it's—it's it's been very enjoyable, and I love doing it. And, it has been good for me, but uh, in my own mind, uh, I'm just a writer with a bizarre, uh, you know, uh, activity of acting that I that I undertake uh, in my free time, if you might see it that way. I mean, I, I obviously. Uh, you know, if you were to uh, get to the deeper level of me, I, you know, sadly or or not sadly, take myself very seriously. I believe in my plays and, uh, you know, in the things I've written. So, uh, and I'm, I'm expecting, you know, that uh, after my death, uh, more people will take them as seriously as I do. Although I, you know, I have a cult of uh, other believers. I mean, there are a few moments in the book that that particularly are, are powerful for me because they bring in very high culture in order to look at it, uh, to look maybe at the at the world now from the point of view of of. Um, of how one might begin to criticize it. And I think particularly of a moment where you quote Bertolt Brecht and an incredible poem of his, Who Built Thebes with its seven gates in books were given the names of kings. Did the kings carry on their own backs those massive fragments of stone? And it, it brought back to, to my mind another incredible poem of, of Brecht, where he says, what kind of times are these when to talk about trees is almost a crime because it implies silence about so many other horrors? Wow. Oh, are you going 
on again? No, I'm right here. I'm right here and I'm just pausing and not saying anything because I know that such lines might might just resonate with you. Well, you know, uh, I think he probably uh, was struggling with uh, some of the same things that uh, I am and a lot of people are. Uh, he's saying that he'd really like to think about trees, but... Uh, he doesn't know if that's morally permissible when so much human suffering is, is surrounding us. Uh, and, uh, of course, today, strangely, uh, the fate of trees and the fate of people are, are bizarrely linked. And so it's, uh, the question becomes a little bit, we wouldn't phrase it that way. I mean, uh, because now it is uh, it is really morally permissible to think about trees because it's uh, the same things that are causing hu human beings to suffer are causing the trees to suffer. And you could say the same people who are causing problems for the trees are causing problems for the oppressed people of the world. So it makes a lot of sense to think about them both at the same time. But we, today we might say, I don't know, is it permissible to uh, think about the tale of Genji? Uh, maybe so, or maybe not. Goodness me, that... Um makes me think in in so many different directions and and earlier on in our in our conversation you said well we need to to think about the tale of genji we we need in this context maybe in this context of being so distracted we need the music of beethoven we need whatever it takes for us to have attention you know, I, I'm always reminded of that wonderful line of Simone Weil where she said that attention, undivided attention, is a form of prayer. Mm -hmm. And Well, I think that people, uh, I don't know whether you want to call it attention or, or whether you are more, but you could say, uh, focus or thinking, uh, which is slightly different, but, uh, yes, I think focused, attentive, uh, and possibly one could add passionate brains are, are needed. Um, you know, we do, uh, if, if everyone had that kind of, uh, committed brain, uh, we would be in much, much uh, better shape. And the, the bad... Everyone is, is, you know, we, we need that. And the bad shape we are in, um, might it be correct for me to, to say that Night Thoughts was written because of our present-day predicament about the kind of, of leadership or or how we how we even understand the word leadership 
um, the, the, really the mess we find ourselves perhaps in. Yes, well, I mean, leadership itself is, is uh, not the highest stage of human development. I mean, yes, the, the night thoughts is about our predicament in general. I don't know if leaders will be the technique that we're going to use to get ourselves out of it. We, we, uh, we all need to be uh, the leaders. Uh, yes, those who are leaders today are, are in many cases, you know, grotesque. And, uh, you know, they're, they're uh, the people who want to be leaders tend to be uh, somewhat scary people. Uh, and leadership itself is, is something that, uh, I don't know, should we, uh, should we be followers? I don't think so. And and you talk about about the, the the grotesque nature of of excessive uh, conspicuous consumption. Um, uh, you talk about it extremely well in in night thoughts. It 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 brought back to mind um, a wonderful line that Adam Phillips quotes in one of his books. Surprisingly, maybe uh, to you, it certainly was at first to me. Um, he he says that when when Neil Diamond was asked how he felt about being rich, he said, "You can't have two lunches." <laughs> uh huh. That is a wonderful statement. And and in in a way, what we what we are are living through now. And perhaps the predicament we find ourselves in now is that people want to and aspire to having two lunches. Well, there is, um, I think there are uh, structural forces in the economy that I don't understand that uh, have led to uh, a middle class disappearing all over the world and these grotesque uh, figures of whom uh, Trump or or Putin or the the Saudi kings are are you know prominent exemplars of uh, infinite uh, appetite for feeding and feeding egos uh, I mean there's there are reasons why that group of people has um, have been able to uh, I don't know uh, grow and thrive I don't I mean I think there probably have always been people who have had that uh, uh, whatever gene or absence of a gene where you can never be satisfied and you want two lunches and then three and then four. Uh, you want power over other people, whatever. Um, 
And somehow in our economy, those people have been able to come closer and closer to achieving that. And everybody else is sort of left shocked and maybe don't, you know, they either have no lunch or, or uh, an inadequate lunch. Wally, um, I, I'd, I'd love you, if you are willing, to, to read a passage from Night Thoughts. I want you to choose it. 30 seconds, a minute. Uh, How about 77 seconds? Yes, okay. Uh, I, I, uh, I, I'll read a little bit. Uh, I'm referring to the fact that uh, earlier in the book I mentioned a murderer who stabbed his victim 38 times and when he was asked why did you do that he, he said he didn't really know uh, so here's a little passage we don't know ourselves we don't understand ourselves but we do know for sure that other people and all living things need to be protected from us because we're very dangerous we may be unknowable and it would be insane to trust us Taking pleasure in triumphing over others, taking pleasure in having control over others, taking pleasure in telling others what to do, taking pleasure in the suffering of others, taking pleasure in being the cause of the suffering of others, taking pleasure in the death of others, and then the extra 37 blows that words can't seem to explain. What response can we have when this creature approaches? There's a, a, a an extraordinary rhythmical quality to to what you've written here, um, that that repetition of taking pleasure. It's um, yes, I suppose it comes from studying Cicero. I don't know. It's. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the book, a lot of the book is, uh, you know, in a way, making the case for for a kind of political revolution, but uh, a lot of it is also against uh, giving power to human beings, because I don't think we're really qualified to handle it. So it's a kind of... Uh, there are, are paradoxes in the book that are left for the reader to resolve, I suppose. Uh, because I, I, uh, I believe in radical change, but I also am very suspicious of human beings because I don't, I think self-deception is such a powerful force in us. You, you you said um, rather rather fleetingly, but I think importantly, I suppose it is because I studied Cicero. That was an important part of your education. Uh, well, I think uh, you know I have to say studying uh, 
Latin was uh, a very important thing for me uh, in terms of writing and thinking. And uh, I suppose, uh, you know, those, uh, some of the writers uh, that I read in studying Latin uh, obviously influenced how I write, I suppose. I don't think of it consciously, but sure. I, I might ask you, I mean, I could, I could so easily dwell on, on how Latin was of great importance to you and the rhythmical quality, the rhetoric. Um, but I'm curious, what feeds you today, Wally? What, what are the books you, you, you both read and what are the books you go back to? I'm so fascinated as I too grow older to think about the relationship between aging and taste and the relationship between what we have once upon a time loved and what we continue to love and read and reread. Yes. Well, uh, you know, I, I haven't, uh, I'm not a very well-read person, and uh, I would, uh, and I, I haven't read very much, and uh, and I... I'm very secretive about what I've read, I have to admit. And maybe that's because um, I've read so little and I, I'm ashamed of what I haven't read. So I, I don't, uh, and I don't tell people what I've read. I don't, I, I'm quite stumped when people, um, also I have no memory. So, uh, you know, if I said, you know, well, one of my favorite books is The Idiot by Dostoevsky. If you asked me, well, tell me about some of your favorite characters and scenes in that book, I wouldn't be able to because I don't remember anything that I that I read. Um, so, 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 is is The Idiot one of your favorite books? Well, it certainly is is an answer that I used to give when I was much younger when people asked me what what's your favorite book I used to say the idiot now I I just uh ducked the question really you know it, uh, I have to say the the idiot um was truly one of my favorite books in a, in a moment of of uh, of I think great humor actually I was 16 years old I had come back from a trip I had contracted meningitis not the kind of meningitis that is terrible. There are two kinds of meningitis. And I had to spend, it was a, a rather platonic disease because I had to spend four, four weeks sort of in the dark, slowly emerging into light. And my father, wow. my father gave me to read, maybe because meningitis can have that effect. He gave me to read The Idiot. And it's, you know, Wally, it struck me so strongly, um, as indeed, you know, books do when they come to you at the right time. Yes. I was probably 24 when I read that book. But it is, uh, yeah, I mean, it it's, uh, was a power. 
powerful experience that you could, I wasn't locked in a room, but I stayed locked in a room. I was also traveling and I stayed, I didn't leave the room because I was reading that book. It, it was uh, an amazing experience. Yes, I think that was quite a bold choice of your father. It really, it really, it really was. It really was. Um, I'm not sure he knew what he was doing, but it certainly had had its effect on me. I remember that brick wall that Prince Muchkina sees, and it it struck me as a, a you know very very pertinent. And like yourself, I can't quite remember why. But I know that it had an effect. Um, yes. I'm, you know, so many things, so many other things come to my mind. One of them is that just very recently I had a phone call, much like the one you and I are having now, with, and in, in a way, thanks to you, with Darren Brown, the magician oh, and yes. the magician and mentalist. And you, you were so kind when we saw each other last. You said, you know, do not miss. Uh, this magician and this mentalist, and I'm I'm curious what your perception was of that show called Secret. Since we were talking about keeping things secret, I I wonder what effect it had on you. And I imagine it must be um, very interesting to hear because, well, it is very much of a a, a show. Uh, well, of course. For me, it was uh, it. It did uh, make me feel that uh, everything I had uh, thought about the human mind was probably wrong, uh, because uh, it was. Uh, um, I, I myself was uh, uh, amazed at how shocked I was by everything that uh, he seemed to be doing. And of course, I don't know the, uh, uh, obviously he, he uh, in some ways uh, is, is doing something that if you knew what he was doing would not be uh, as shocking as if you don't know. I mean, this is the essence of what a magician does. On the other hand, I think he was actually doing some things in terms of, uh, you might say, hypnotizing people that um, maybe are outside the limits of what we normally think people can do to each other. And and, uh, and and yet and yet what's so interesting isn't it and I think you're hinting at this Wally is that he's doing something that happens to us maybe all the time namely that we are in front of our eyes being manipulated yes and uh, uh, that is what I sort of meant when I said that uh, it changed my view of, of the human mind and of ourselves uh, to to watch him at work. Um, 
didn't know whether it was the people he was manipulating in the audience who were being manipulated or whether it was me watching them being manipulated. But he was either doing one or the other or both. That's right. Some of each, I'm guessing. But uh, even to have the effect on me that he had is a shock. And, uh, And, you know, but I actually think he was having amazing effects on those people who he brought up to the stage and uh, manipulated directly. I am ever so glad to have gone and it made me it made me think so much about misdirection and sleight of hand and what we focus on and brings me right back to I I think um in part what what night thoughts is about which is the important of the importance of 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 sustained thinking um you know you you mentioned genji and you mentioned the tale of genji and you mentioned beethoven and i think in a way what might take us out of the mess is if we're not perpetually distracted by the latest tweet yes i think that uh, well i mean trump is is uh, in many ways uh demonically skilled uh, magician Um, and I actually felt that uh, Darren Brown wanted to mention him and and didn't quite uh, have the nerve to do it but Trump by casting up these you know uh, somewhat grotesque or but on the other hand somewhat comical uh, uh, distractions he is is hiding the fact that uh, the program of handing over all the money and the power in society to the one percent is actually going on very methodically and logically and uh, you know, one step ahead every day. He's actually doing very, very well while seeming to be a ludicrous clown who's doing badly. What could be a better magic trick than that? What what will tomorrow afford us? I mean, we every day we, we, we seem to be amazed at what has happened and the, it is followed just the next day by something else that will maybe lead us astray. But as you say, there may be a, a real plan at work here. Night, night thoughts begins during the night and ends during the night. And I was, I was quite taken by that cyclical nature and also by what I imagine to be, um, an enchantment one might feel at night and also when we have our most worried thoughts. Well, we can also have optimistic thoughts at night. Yes. Uh, and I do want to, I do want to talk a little bit, uh, in closing about the, the, the slight possibility that things might turn out well. 
You know, I'm always reminded of Kafka's line where he says, there's hope, but not for us. Well, in our case, I don't know if it'll really uh, work that way. I mean, if if uh, I don't think we have that much time left to save the planet, really. I mean, I could say it as I'm 73 years old, sure. Hope, but not for me, but Paul, I hope that uh, things will turn around during your lifetime or they're not gonna have a chance to turn around at all. I mean, uh, you know, I, I do think that, uh, you know, I suppose one of the things that I say in the book, which to me is, is uh, sort of obvious, but, uh, it still should be said that uh, I do think most people, unless there's something neurologically wrong with them, uh, most babies who are born have the capacity to grow up to be uh, extremely smart, even brilliant. I believe that. And yet, uh, of course, people who are poor uh, tend to be denied education and not to mention good nutrition. Uh, but the potential is certainly there for a uh, the human race to uh, understand its circumstances and to take uh, charge of itself and, uh, you know, take power back from uh, what you might call the 1% or even from the 10%, which might include even you and me, and to create a better world. Sure, I do believe that, but it would have to happen very quickly probably while you're still living. I mean, if it goes on the way it is for, you know, a few more decades, it, it looks very bad for us. I mean, to go back to, to the Brecht quotation, there, there, there won't be, there won't be any time anymore to talk about trees because there won't be any no. trees. Well, Wally, it's it's been it's been a pleasure to to talk with you, and I think there is a a there are shards of hope. Um, they they certainly there aren't uh, much more than shards, but there are shards of hope, and um, I encourage everybody to to read these night thoughts during the day and the night. It it really. It really was a, a pleasure for me to, to read it, even if it was a pleasure that caused some pain, but pain sometimes makes you wake up. Well, thank you so much. Well, Wally, it's been a pleasure, and, and until soon again. All right, this was great. Take great good to talk to you, Paul. Until You'll soon. Be well. You too, you too. Until soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay.